Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord and my strength. Amen. In our current culture, the word Passover doesn't mean much to most people. Most people are not familiar with it at all. If they are, they might think of some maybe Jewish tradition that goes on somewhere during this time. Even non-observant Jews of this day often don't know what Passover means either. Now, in the, in the Christian faith, people may, may know a little bit about Passover, but for most people, it's a very vague understanding. It's something that maybe happened in the Old Testament, and maybe there's some sort of mention in the New Testament, but it's kind of left like that. And yet, each week, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, there's a direct connection from the Old Testament to today. And so we really have to take a look at it. But unlike the Jews of today, we are not bound by the Old Testament Passover because we have a new covenant. And in the Lord's Supper, we have something that is made complete and glorious. So tonight... We're going to take a look at the old and then see the glory of the new. Now, as I mentioned, sermon notes are going to be very helpful for you. If you are worshiping at home, uh, you can get them on our website under the sermon tab. So we're going to begin first with the Passover from the Old Testament. You have to understand how important the Passover was to the nation of Israel. It's specifically called out in Exodus, but it's also in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's found in five other books in the Old Testament, and it's found in the New Testament as well. You could say this, that if the Old Testament Passover did not happen, there would be no nation of Israel there would not also be the new covenant that we have as well. That's how important it is. Now, if you remember the context, and we've been doing some of the context in our sermon series that we had in Exodus, Moses and the Exodus, the Israelites were in a very dire situation, weren't they? They were under the yoke of slavery with the Egyptians. And then Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, I don't think so. And he actually made it harder for them, didn't he? So to follow God was not an easy thing. It actually became harder. And Pharaoh would not let the people go. So what did God do? There were the plagues. There were ultimately ten plagues. The first nine, though, included turning the river into blood, frogs, locusts, hail. Yet Pharaoh would not relent. Thus, there was a tenth plague. And if you recall, the tenth plague is that the firstborn of every household would die unless there were special, uh, special preparations were made. 
That's the context. So the stakes are very high here. So let us learn some lessons from the Old Testament Passover. The first one is that the Passover was instituted by God. If you actually read Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 20, you will see that the Lord God is giving instruction to Moses. As a matter of fact, the beginning of the chapter starts off with this. The Lord, Yahweh, remember Yahweh, who spoke to Moses at the burning bush. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. So he gave Moses and Aaron very specific instructions that they must follow. This was not a man-made invention. This was simply not a man-made religious observance. I mean, who would make up such an observance when the stakes are so high and literally your life is on the line? What was it a matter of? It was a matter of taking God at His word. It's always been that way, hasn't it? It's a matter of taking God at His word and following His word by faith. That's always how it's been from the Old into the New Testament. So it was instituted by God, and God said this, that it was to be observed as a statute forever. So what is a statute? It's not a statue. It's a statute. A little extra T on there. It means a law. Or in this case, it's a divine decree. It was a divine decree or law that was to be in place forever. God commanded it. Now, if God commands something, do we have the ability to change God's commands? No, we don't, do we? Although we try. I mean, take a look at our nation, right? There are laws, rules, but rules are meant to be broken, right? And so we break God's laws all the time. But when we don't like a law in the United States, well, we bring it to the local court. And then we work our way all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States, the law of the land, as it might be. But is there anyone higher than God? There is not. When God makes a decree, only God can change, modify, to say it is old and now anew. Only God can do that. We have no right to do that. So his word stands. So what we find out is the Passover was instituted by God. It was to be observed as a statute forever. And when you talk about Passover, you cannot talk about Passover without talking about sacrifice. You can't separate the two. To speak of Passover is to understand sacrifice. Now, the sacrifice of the lamb was a precursor to the sacrificial system that God gave the Israelites in the desert. You find this in Deuteronomy, but specifically in Leviticus. The sacrificial system was a way for the Israelites to understand that there had to be an atonement for sin. And do you remember what was said about the lamb 
The lamb was to be spotless, perfect, without blemish. So it had to be a perfect sacrifice unto the Lord. And it was that blood had to be spilled during his sacrifice. This was not a bloodless sacrifice. So without the blood of the lamb, they would still be in bondage. They would still be under the penalty of death. And what you have to understand with the sacrifice is that the blood was real. It wasn't just symbolic. You couldn't say, oh, well, we don't have any lamb's blood, so hey, how about some red paint on the doorway? Get a little stain. Go to the hardware store around the corner there. They got a sale going on. We'll just put that over there. Or you couldn't put little pictures of the lamb. Or it didn't even matter that you could have a flock of lambs in the backyard. It had to be real blood, didn't it? And real blood had to go over the doorpost. Blood was spilled because it shows how precious this gift of life God gave the Israelites. The sacrifice ultimately would become a reminder of the sin before him and that blood. We know that when blood is spilled, that life is spilled. That the life is in the blood and only the life, the blood, can atone for the sin. In Leviticus chapter 17, it says this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by its life. And you have to understand this. You had to be in the house under the cover of the blood. You couldn't say, well, you know, my uncle Ezra, he believes, and he put blood's lamb over the door that way, and, you know, I really don't believe that, but uh, I'm pretty sure I can get in with Ezra. I'll just be good with him doing it, you know? No, you had to actually be covered in the house that was covered by the blood of the lamb. And when the angel of death passed over, it did not stop to see who was worthy in the house. Only that they were covered by the blood. This is the Passover. You see, in the Passover, ultimately, lives were spared. Lives were spared that the Lord would pass over the house. Verse 26 from our reading really clarifies this, that it was to be taught from generation to generation to generation. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Because kids want to know, right? Why are we doing this? And by the way, tonight we're doing the Lord's Supper because a lot of people want to know, well, what does that mean? Why are we doing this? For the Israelites, God said this. You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Those who follow God's word by faith were spared. And thus the Passover is not called the Jewish Passover. It is called the Lord's Passover. 
Because when the Lord passes over you, you receive his mercy and grace. Now, there's more we could do, but let's sum it up this way. Passover. The Passover is where God graciously spared those who had faith in him to live in freedom, to be freed from the bondage of slavery. This is the significance of Passover. And on this night, this Thursday night, the night before he was to go to the cross, Jesus and his disciples celebrated that Passover. The significance of God's grace, his mercy, and his love of passing over, of not killing, of sparing those who are covered by the blood of the Lamb. This is the context that we have. So now let's go to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. I'm going to read again from Luke, chapter 22, verse 14 through 20. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And when he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup, is the, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So just as the Passover, the first one, was initiated by God, the Last Supper was instituted by Jesus as a new covenant. It says very clearly, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Covenant. We've used that word a lot. It tends to be a really churchy word, doesn't it? Covenant. What is a covenant? It is a sacred promise. And in this case, the covenant was unconditional. In essence, when God made the covenant with Israel, he didn't say, hey, Moses, Aaron, go among the people, get a vote. See what they think. Do they like it? Do they want to amend it? None of that, right? God decreed. Just as with Jesus, when he instituted this covenant, he did not ask the disciples, do you like it? What's your opinion about this? Could you go along with it? Do you think i got to modify any of the words in here? Don't want to offend anybody. He didn't do that, did he? It was a covenant decreed by Jesus. And in this covenant, he says it's a new one. And because it is a new one, it therefore declares the old one complete. The old covenant, the old, the old Testament, the Passover was complete. It was done This is a new covenant that God has made. 
See, this is why as a church, for me, I don't celebrate the Jewish Passover. I know some churches do that. We don't because each and every week we celebrate the new covenant, the Lord's Supper. If you take a look in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. It's done. It's complete. Now, this new covenant is to be in effect, to be remembered, to observe until his second coming. We are to remember, to live in, and to celebrate this new covenant until his second coming. I read this to you in Luke chapter 22, verse 16. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And Matthew chapter 26, I tell you, I will not drink it again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Here's the good news. On that day, we will celebrate this new covenant with Christ Jesus in heaven. We are the bride of Christ, and this fruit of the vine will be shared with us fully, fully and completely when Jesus receives his bride, us, the church, in the heavenly places. See, we have a foretaste of the feast that is to come. That is what we have in the Lord's Supper. In Revelation chapter 19, it says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made her ready. This is the Lord's Supper. This is the new covenant. And just as in the Passover, you can't talk about Passover without sacrifice, you can't talk about the Lord's Supper without sacrifice. You cannot separate the two. Just as the Lamb was sacrificed in the first Passover, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was to be sacrificed for our sake. The words are very simple. This is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood of the new covenant. If you take away the sacrifice from the Lord's Supper, you take away all meaning. And that's why a lot of churches who don't see this as a sacrament take the Lord's Supper in a very casual way. Oh, let's put out some juice and crackers and you just go up and do however you want. I'm serious. Churches do that. It got so bad in the church in Corinth They were getting drunk beforehand. They were eating other people's food. You know, they weren't sharing at all. This is why Paul was so strict with them. He rebuked them. He chastised them. Because they didn't understand how grievous their actions were. All right, so let's recap this a little bit. I know it's a lot to take in. So far in the Lord's Supper, it was instituted by Jesus as a new covenant. The new covenant is to be remembered and observed until we are with him in glory. And the Lord's Supper and sacrifice of Jesus go hand in hand. To all these three points, all Christian churches should be in agreement. I would go so far as to say if they are not in agreement, they are in heresy. 
It is very clear. But now we come to two important points where a lot of churches diverge. The first one is this. The body and blood are truly present, not just symbolic. Just as the blood of the Lamb was real, the body and blood here in the Lord's Supper are truly present, not just symbolic. See, everybody says and believes that Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. And they've been bothered by it ever since. So what did he mean? You see, a lot of churches, Baptists, Methodists, and so on, believe that it is symbolic. So when Jesus would say, take, eat, this is my body, they would put in the word, and you will hear actually some pastors, preachers say, this symbolizes my blood. They actually change scripture. This symbolizes my body. But that's not what Jesus said. Well, they would say, oh, but if you read it properly, it's just an analogy that Jesus is giving. It's a metaphor that he's using. So we really should understand it as just symbolic. But here's where grammar really matters. In the Greek, the word is, in this, how it's written, and in that context, can only mean is. It can never mean symbolizes. I mean, you just can't. You can bend and twist Scripture all you like, but Jesus said, this is. It was never intended to be, this symbolizes. This is still a difficulty, isn't it? I mean, is means is. So, how do we understand it? In the small catechism, it's put this way. It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and drink. So when we say that his body and blood are truly present, we mean it's truly present. We do not mean the bread changes into his body. Or the wine changes into blood. When we have our communion, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the bread's bread, the wine's wine. does not change. And yet, Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. And that, does that bother anybody? I mean, it's like, how can you get your mind around that, right? Right? And there have been a lot of people to try to parse this out. To say, well, let's use some logic here. Let's work this through. But Paul said this. Paul said very clearly, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? How can that be? And that's what bothers people. How can it be? And we reject all sorts of logic that try to figure it out one way or the other. And you know what we do? We don't focus on the how, we focus on the what. 
and we take God at his word by faith. I know that is a novel idea for a lot of people, but we do that. Jesus said that. We take it by faith. And that's what we do with the elements. Luther in the large catechism said this, it is the true body and blood of our Lord Christ in and under the bread and wine, which we Christians are commanded by Christ's word to eat and drink. And just as we have said of baptism that is not mere water, so we say here too that the sacrament is bread and wine, but not mere bread and wine as served at the table. Rather, it is bread and wine set within God's word and bound to it. Just as in baptism, the water itself is not special. I've told people this again and again. I use the, well, I use the filtered water from this kitchen. I do. So there's nothing holy about the water that comes out of that spigot. But when it is combined with God's word, we trust that God's word does what it says. And in baptism, there's a pronouncement of forgiveness of sin, is there not? And in that forgiveness of sin, we receive God's grace. So we talk about baptism as a visible means of God's grace. The Lord's Supper, the bread, the wine, with God's word, is a visible means of God's grace. Because what is pronounced in the Lord's Supper? Forgiveness of sin. So we receive forgiveness of sin in the Lord's Supper, and it reassures us You hear me every week say, be strengthened in your faith. It strengthens us in our faith. This visible means of God's grace, of forgiveness of sin. This is what Jesus did on that Thursday evening. And the forgiveness of sin. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. And where there is forgiveness of sin, by the way, there's life and life everlasting. And that's the promise you receive and are reassured of again and again when you come to the Lord's Supper until we meet him in glory. So what is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper, we receive God's grace by faith in Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God, who sacrificed his body, who shed his blood, we receive forgiveness of sin and are thus reassured in life everlasting. This is from the Lord's Passover to the Lord's Supper, the glorious and new covenant. So, we don't take this in a casual manner. We should actually prepare ourselves each and every time we come before the Lord and the Lord's Supper. So on your sermon notes, how to prepare for the Lord's Supper. This is going to be important because in a moment, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Okay? So let's hear the words. 
in order that you may receive this holy sacrament in a worthy manner, you should carefully consider what you must now believe and do. From the words of Christ, this is my body which is given for you, this is my blood which is shed for you for the remission of sin, you should believe that Jesus Christ is present with his body and blood, as the words declare. From Christ's words for the remission of sin, you should also believe that Jesus gives to you his body and blood to strengthen your assurance that your sins are forgiven. And finally, you should do this as Christ commands you when he says, take, eat, drink of it, all of you, this do in remembrance of me. If you believe these words of Christ and do as he has commanded, then you have properly examined yourselves and may eat Christ's body and drink his blood in a worthy manner. You should also unite in giving thanks to Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for so great a gift and should love one another with a pure heart and thus the whole Christian church and have comfort and joy in Christ our Lord. To this end, may God the Father give you his grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.